We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is the final Arsenal Vision post-match podcast of the season, and I am Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, we've got the full crew, Elliot, Paul, James, and Tim. Uh, we'll be discussing the um, victory against Aston Villa, as well as the season as a whole. Sad times, really, because it's the end of the season already. It's flown by, and as much as we're disappointed in how it ended up, in terms of us not winning the league... We're going to miss the Arsenal. I'm sure most of us will miss the Arsenal. So, because it's a sad moment, I want to play a little song. Just try and, you know, put a smile on some people's faces. So, enjoy the song, enjoy the podcast, and back next season. This is a lighthearted podcast, and we tend to take ourselves not too seriously, I would like to think, but I want to start this special end-of-season show uh, sparing a moment to think about those who are less fortunate than us. I think it's easy as a football fan to lose perspective, and perspective is an important thing to have, not just in football, but in life. So at this time, maybe spare a moment's thought, maybe spare some sympathy, uh, whatever you have in your heart for those people who were born with or grew to be afflicted by supporting Spurs. 
um, we know that this is not an easy time for that person or those people in your life who do so. And maybe just a pat on the back, maybe just some kind words of encouragement to remind them they'll forever be in our shadow. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner, and (laughs) yeah, everyone laugh at Spurs. We're here with a full boat. We got James back. We got Tim. We got Paul. Everybody's here. Um, Hi, James. Hello. Good to be back. Great to have you here, Paul. Yeah, you're here as well. Yeah, 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 that's right. And and Tim, you got a voice left? Or you've been laughing too much. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm I'm present and correct. Cool. Um, I w- I think it would be easy to say that the highlight of the season, the high point of the season, uh, came on the last day of the season. Now, if it's all right with you, gentlemen, I don't want to do too much uh, in depth analysis on the Villa game itself. I think. You know, this is coming out on the Friday after the game. Um, the season is over. We can do some reflecting on the season, some looking forward to what we expect to happen in the summer and next season. But we have to start by saying just how much we enjoyed the final day and the circumstances of the final day. James, it's been a long time, so I'll start with you. How important was passing Spurs on the final day and the manner in which it happened to leave this season on a high note? Um. I mean, I think the combination of just the hilarity of the manner in which a Tottenham team that, by all accounts, I think um, all parties across the board had had convinced themselves that perhaps the Tottenham that we've we've all sort of known and grown to love over the last um, however many years in um, in the way in which they've continuously provided us such um, enjoyment and entertainment had had somewhat dissipated, and perhaps they had, you know, with this this new sort of a generation coming through the Pochettino, uh, um, very much the the polar opposite of you know the, this kind of staleness that had been uh, um, sort of banged on about as associated with that of Arsenal, and um, and even ourselves, I think you know deep. deep there was a, you know, there was a, a slight concern brooding, and yet, in on the last day of the season, after after months and months of this, as as per the uh, the mind the gap, the the change of the uh, um, the, power the, the change of power moving, the power shift moving between the two, and um, you know, there weren't many Arsenal fans that generally, you know, based on this season that were. A, in total disagreement, as much as we hated to sort of vocalise it, um, and yet the absolute from the Chelsea, you know, of course, starting off at the battle at the bridge, um, and the and the the sheer collapse, added added to the fact, of course, uh, against a side that were already relegated, deeming seemingly having little to play for, um, just added to the to the you know that incredible feel good factor that we really haven't had in for for the whole of the second half of the season and i think at a, at a deeper level honestly given the the friction that we have and uh, you know a, a, i say a, a very large percentage now of, of the arsenal fan base have with the um the current position of the manager and um the situation with the team I think it would have been a very easy stick with which to continue to continue to beat the manager with, even just the fact of having finished below below Spurs relative to um, just our own 
um, internal issues and the way that the season had played out for us individually. I think that in itself has created a somewhat, uh, has given us something with which to actually um, attribute some level of, uh, not success as such, but some sort of ent- enjoyment and um and also just for Arsenal to have retained that quite, this quite remarkable record of continuously finishing above Spurs does allow us, especially going into the summer, especially given how um, fleeting our emotions can be associated with football, I think it, I think it makes a huge difference, actually. Um, we can kind of take a... We're all quite glad, I think, that the season's come to an end, but we can... We can take a step back and, and actually um, look back on it with, with not... I think the actual despair and um, disassociation with football would have been would have been quite sincere and quite severe um, throughout the course of the summer if the final game hadn't played out in in that manner mm-hmm. uh, and I think you know consciously that that actually could be quite quite big and could actually give Arsenal a little more room and um, perhaps more room than um, anyone could have quite envisaged, given the state of um, of affairs at the club, and and still given the um, the fraction that we see between the fans. Yeah, I, I actually agree. I mean, I think that ending a season on a high note, you know, you could argue that both seasons where we won the FA Cup were terrible, terrible seasons. But when you end the season on a high note, that's sort of the the momentum, the emotional momentum that carries into the summer. Tim, you you were at the stadium, and I think just watching at home, it almost seemed the most joy joyful and united the home support has been maybe since the united game um the the home game obviously um is that how it felt in in the stadium and how much goodwill yeah. do you think this buys players and manager in terms of the way it's it's almost totally reversed sentiment from the season yeah absolutely and i think your point um is a good one in terms of chronology matters um if you start a season on fire and finish it badly um that that um, kind of governs the the feeling at the end of the season. Whereas if you start it badly and finish it well, um, even though you're getting the same result, you get a totally different feeling. Um, and transfer windows work the same. Let's look at 2014. We did nothing, but then we got Mesut Ozil right at the end, and that felt better than perhaps last summer, where we got Petr Cech really early and then did nothing. Um, and we know which transfer window kind of felt better even though we got the same thing from both of them um inside the stadium it was definitely the most united the fan base has been in a good couple of years i think um and i think it was just kind of because nobody really expected it either so it wasn't um the prelude to it wasn't this kind of anxiety um where we finished above spurs on the last day the last couple of times we've been the ones ahead the pressure's been on us We've got over the line. We've got the job done. On this occasion, we all expected to beat Aston Villa, but I don't think any of us really expected Spurs to get um, anything other. You know, they only needed a draw. And I really think when Sunderland beat Everton, everyone thought that that was that. Um, but it was. It was fantastic inside the stadium. And and if there's if there's one, nothing unites you like a common enemy. And that was just. The one thing that really got everyone on board, that got everyone together, that kind of stopped the stupid infighting and the politicking and the posing and all the stuff that goes on inside the stadium at the moment, it just brought everybody together. And, you know, nobody, I don't don't think anybody is saying 
you know, that makes our season a success. But you're right, it just makes things feel a little bit lighter. Um, but that feeling will be temporary. Um, and in the next kind of week or so, the transfer window will start to take over. Um, and, you know, it, it looks and sounds like Arsenal are really trying to get a 30 million midfield signing um, over the line. And if they can do that in the next week or two, then that just kind of continues that, that good feeling. Um, but, you know, for, in terms of being inside the stadium, it was just, it was incredible. And I, I usually, I don't like that inside the stadium. I didn't want to take any notice of what was happening there, particularly in the first half and particularly before we went 2-0 up. Because the, the trouble is inside the stadium, if you're not following it, um, you're only getting a very partial view of what's going on because everybody cheers when Newcastle score. But I'm thinking to myself, well, no one's gonna. There's going to be no reaction if if and when Spurs score. So I'm not going to know what's going on. And I was very very happy that I had no idea that Spurs had got a goal back and Newcastle had a player sent off because all I was, I was getting was the Newcastle goals. And the timeline just worked out brilliantly because as soon as we got that second goal it seemed like Tottenham completely collapsed straight after and there was this relaxation that then just gave way to, to hilarity and it was great. And you couldn't ask for a better day for it to happen because the lap of appreciation was setting up to be kind of like walking your dog in the rain. Um, but it turned out to be a joyful occasion and I think everybody was able to go off on a high. And look, I think it helps players to go off being cheered off the pitch to some extent and having a smile on their face and it helps a manager and it helps a fan base and suddenly it doesn't feel like there's this rot at the club. Um, and, you know, this is, you know, they made these uh, Harry Potter jelly beans. I don't know if you guys are familiar with these. And, like, some of them were your normal tasty, delicious jelly bean flavors, and some were, like, snot and crushed spiders and stuff. And there's this very weird sensation when you grab a jelly bean and you expect tasty candy in your mouth, and then suddenly you taste like snot. Um, and I'm going to analogize that, even though this is Paul's job, usually the bizarre analogy, to our season in a way because... I feel like it It looks like a tasty jelly bean from the outside. We finished above Spurs. We finished second. It's year-over-year year improvement. It's our third consecutive year of improvement, you know, from fourth to third to second. Um, and yet, the season tasted like shit um, for a long stretch of it. So I, it's really hard, I think, to wrap your head around how to feel about this season now because I, I feel like I'd written the whole story and then the last day the ending changed the whole story. Paul, for for the pundits who are trying to rain on our parade and saying that it's small club mentality to cheer this or it's nothing to cheer or that Spurs are still the team heading in the right direction, clearly those people have never supported a football club or understood the importance of Schadenfreude, but what's your take on whether it's appropriate for us to celebrate this um, and celebrate it in a big way? Well, those people can fuck off too. Yeah, Um, yeah. Oh, fuck that, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe. I, I know you got to write articles, and maybe when you're writing something, or you're, you know, your your feeling is you need to analyze. But some shit doesn't need to be analyzed. This is, if anybody remembers being a supporter of anything, you don't really care how you win. You just want to win, and you you don't. Everything's relative. Sunder- Sunderland just finished 17th, and I haven't seen any articles saying they shouldn't celebrate Newcastle getting relegated. You know, it's yeah, like, that's course. football. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I had, 
I'd, it's one of the things we do. I'd rationalized. I'd rationalized that it was okay if this was the year we didn't do it. I'd prefer if we ended level on points and they uh, they beat us on goal difference. It was kind of a they a, they tried to minor. level that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I kind of persuaded myself it wasn't that big. And as soon as it looked like we were going to win this thing, my God, the emotions just take off. And talking about hilarity as Tim mentioned. I mean, how often do you see a football stadium where the football fans are literally laughing their asses off? I mean, <laughs> you, you know, you show the scenes without explaining it and everybody must be wondering, what the fuck is going on in the game? And, I mean, and what God circumstances bless, in a game? God bless the, yeah. the Spurs Twitter account, the official Spurs Twitter account, for tweeting every one of those fucking scores and ending with 5-1 <laughs> an afternoon to forget. I mean, they might as well be a, a parody account. <laughs> it was great, but, I mean, you know, they spared no expense. They went to, they, uh, you know, Newcastle went down to 10 men. Didn't change anything. That's when they really got going. I mean, you literally had our supporters creased over, bent over, laughing. I'm like, how do you... and. You know, maybe we're just bad people. Maybe Arsenal is a magnet for people with bad, bad spirits. But I suspect that's not the case. And I don't know why these people don't remember. I know sometimes they got to play to their crowd or they got to pay to the play to the, you know, the serious journalistic question or the pun, you know, Michael Owen or whoever it is, punditing really to his his uh, his base the people who keep them on TV and they come out with these pontifications like that shit he came out about how, uh, you know, Liverpool, um, if you're going to, Sturridge leaving Liverpool, where would he go? There's only Real Madrid or Barcelona as a step up. To be well, fair, that's some of the best punditry Michael Owen's done all season. <laughs> to be fair. But I think it tells you that he says this shit with the view to playing to his audience the people keep who keep who want him on tv who he plays to who give him his livelihood and i think a lot of punditry is playing to this imaginary audience in your head and it makes no fucking sense because if you know anything about football Mm -hmm. there is nothing more delicious than Mm -hmm. coming back from I mean, we were fucked. We, we, we probably deserved fourth or fifth in a normal season this year. And thanks to our friends at Spurs, uh, I, I tweeted this thing. I didn't do it very well. But you know that hurling thing where you're sweeping with the brush to get the opponent's stone out of the circle? Yeah. I mean, they basically swept us into the center of, you know, it was like Spurs brushing like fucking lunatics to get us right into the center to get us home safe. I mean, they they couldn't have done it. They couldn't have guided us in more beautifully. And we can't thank them enough for it. We can't. It was funny. It was wonderful. It was hilarious. They were ridiculous. They were apologizing to friends and family. You know, Harry Kane's golden boot is delivered the day after and completely pissed on by this. He can't really celebrate it as to put it right next to his golden bottle. I mean, it's just, you know, everything just turned to fucking shit. A wonderful season for them. I mean, it really was, and they've been great. A shit season for us. And we're the ones who go into the summer laughing our asses off, and they've got their fucking heads in their hands. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it can make it's a difference. Lovely. I mean, you know, I, not, not... Yeah, so while I agree with Tim that the window's coming up and that'll change everything, and it will, I do think it'll help. I, I think it'll just kind of oil the wheels, maybe enough to give us 
as a club, a bit of momentum in the summer in terms of enough goodwill or an absence of severe bad will. You know, I, I just think it'll help a little bit to get the summer going. And if we can get a signing in or two, again, it doesn't change the fundamentals. It doesn't change the season we really had. Uh, it won't remove the divisions. But uh, sometimes you just kind of got to keep moving forward. And if we have a reasonable start to the season, we might have a reasonable, se- you know, who knows? Well, look, we'll, I mean, we'll look back on it. You, you look at Leicester, they finished as one of the hottest teams in the Premier League last season, and they carried that into this yep. season. Chelsea coughed and sputtered their way over the line to be champions last season, but that collapse that was sort of imminent at the end of last season continued into this season. And, you know, maybe this is something that will have ramifications for how Spurs start next season and, ha- and how we will, and we can only hope for that. Let's move off of that, although we could do an entire podcast on it, and let's get to the season summary stuff. And So I'm going to set a couple of ground rules here, especially since we have three people answering um, and me providing uh, very little in, in return. Um, so I'm going to give you, choi- the, 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 you know, the usual choices, best player, worst player, best moment, worst moment kind of stuff, but here are the rules. You have to pick just one, meaning you can't do the, well, Ox wasn't great, and neither was Ramsey, and neither was Alexis, but I'm going to go with, you can't do that. You can name one. That's it, just one. The other rule is you can't pick one that somebody else has already picked. So you're stuck picking a different one, and you can only pick one. You can't equivocate and try to wrap you know, seven different people into the answer, and I only say that because I've podcasted with you gentlemen before. Um, okay. So let's start on a positive note, and I will start with you, Paul. Uh, how about your player of the season? Now, let me be clear about this. I don't necessarily mean the best player, but the player who had the best season. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I want to summarize your rules, though. Basically, you're saying, come on, guys, have some fucking balls. Yeah, basically. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or, fucking go for or you know Stop just try to keep the podcast under three and a half hours would have been how I'd put it, but you know <laughs> I've heard it both ways. Well, let me give you my knee jerk answer. I don't know. Uh, I'm Remember, you can only uh, name one person, so it better be the yeah, only so, one. Yeah, so I'm going to give you my knee jerk answer. I thought Mesut Ozil was fucking sensational, without it being necessarily his perfect season or him always being on. I thought it was fucking sensational. Now, it's a bit of an easy choice because he's our best player and he's supposed to be our best player. But it do- it doesn't we've seen other out. seasons. <laughs> doesn't really matter. We've seen other seasons where he has disappointed. I think he has grown in many ways. He'll never be a leader, leader, but he's, he is a more consistent personality. Uh, I think he's you know the body language has improved he's talked about that he's addressed that i don't know how long you want this answer to be so many many aspects of him as a person has grown at the club mm-hmm. he says the right things off the pitch to uh, not call shit for the club and to kind of reinforce where the, the, the manager in the team's position um i just think um that that's the player that that really makes me love arsenal at the moment Perfect. Perfect answer. All right, James, your player player who had the best season for Arsenal who's not named Mesut Ozil. It's a tough one. Other than Mesut, Nacho Monreal probably for me. Okay. Just certainly he might have more season, but I think from 
from the beginning to and for the large large majority was an absolute stalwart of the bad remarkable season um really especially in a defense that had some periods of um shakiness whether that was down to um a slight dysfunction um in the midfield that's and change in in the sense back fullbacks were a constant and Nacho was I felt supreme a, a player where the monks generally failed to deliver was um was was the one player um alongside Meza um but certainly was one of the players you looked to the um delivered and um I thought really grew uh, as an Arsenal player and really became one of a uh, one of our key players this season yeah uh, yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, I thought his comments recently were really interesting, basically saying he didn't play well enough and it was frustrating when he first got here and he had to adapt to the English game. And I think it would be hard to disagree with that, but he put in the work and he's adapted brilliantly and become one of the players that, that you can really depend on. I thought he faded a little down the stretch, but he played a lot of football because Gibbs, for one reason or another, just wasn't able to be trusted. Um so, Tim, that leaves you with the unenviable <clears throat> task of having to pick the player who had the best season for Arsenal who is not named Nacho Monreal or Mesut Ozil. Yeah, uh, well, those two would be my, my one and two. Well, um, they're not. <laughs> I, well, yeah. Um, in which case, I'll go a little bit left field and I'll say Alex Iwobi um, had a bit of a breakthrough season that maybe um, nobody really expected. Um, probably this time last year, I don't think anyone would have said, oh yeah, Alex Wobie will be in our starting eleven um, in a year's time. Um, he came in, he was a breath of fresh air, he gave the team exactly what it needed. It needed a kind of busy, creative presence on that, um, on one on one of either the right or left-hand side to take some of the pressure off of Ozil. Um, and, you know, we got the best out of Alexis when Iwobi was in the team as well. Um, and he struck up a really nice partnership with Danny Welbeck, and that front three was probably the front three that worked the best um, during the whole season. And a lot of that was just because, you know, we were crying out for another technical player. And Joel Campbell did a good job um, when he came in because he's kind of in that mould. But Iwobi really, really took it. Um, and I think he only faded when we brought Olivier Giroud back into the team and it wasn't quite as mobile around him. So, um, and, and you know, in those FA, FA Cup games as well, I thought, I thought, you know, that was a nice way of introducing him into the team. Um, so, yeah, Alex Iwobi. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting shout. Um, and, and I think, creatively speaking, earns a lot of points. Uh, mine would be Santi Cazorla. All you have to do is look at the with and without Santi Cazorla results, and I think it speaks for itself. We didn't have anyone who could do what he did other than him, and he did it brilliantly until he got injured. So that would be, uh, we were champions of England while Santi Cazorla was fit. Uh, is that another champions of England? We, 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 we were the away <laughs> champions and the during Santi Cazorla's fitness champions. Um, yeah. So that's funny, actually. As James points out on the back chat, none of us picked the only player who got into the PFA team of the year, which is interesting. Uh, is that Hector Bellerin? Indeed yeah, yeah. it is. It is. Yeah, yeah, he was fantastic, too, as well. Um, okay, so now, Tim, I'll let you get the first shot at the much, much more fun aspect of podcasting <laughs> and analyzing, which is the negative part of it. Uh, so which player not had the worst season, but which player had the most disappointing season, however you choose to read into that? 
Okay, um, most Fertile disappointing season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say Matthew Debushi. Um, Who? Because, <laughs> exactly, because I think the guy did not respond to the challenge in front of him. Um, he whined, he moaned, he just wanted out. When he was called upon, he was pretty terrible. Um, he whined and moaned. He left again to try and get in the Euro 2016 squad. He didn't manage it. Um, and not only that, but I think he has kind of dented Callum Chambers' progression a little bit because had he stayed, I think Chambers might have gone on loan and got some games at centre-half or at, ver at the very least, Chambers would have been able to play at centre-half in the FA Cup games. Instead, we had to keep Chambers as a backup right back. He played those valuable FA Cup, those FA Cup games, which would have been valuable for him to play at centre half. He had to play it right back instead, which I think we all know is not his strength. Um, and so, for those reasons, I'm going to say Matthew Debushi because he was dreadful, and I think he he kind of shat on a good young player as well. Yeah, the, all of those are good reasons. I mean, he really was. I mean, and from just a character standpoint. Not not the kind of person that you want in your squad in a dressing room that, by and large, seems pretty united. Um, okay, James, who had the most disappointing season for Arsenal not named Matthew Debushi? I'm going to go with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, I player feel like we who... had a bet about him. <laughs> I so feel like we did. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. I it, do feel like we did. Um, now... I mean, a player going into the season that I certainly felt, and I'm, uh, I get the sense that a good number of others did too, that this could be um, a breakthrough season for Alex. A player that um, I consider one who has a lot of the underlying technical qualities you'd like to see in a young player. Um, um, fan, you know, has the ability, is an incredibly versatile player. Great, you know, great technical distribution of the ball. You know, exci an exciting player to watch. Um, and has what you would think the ability to to take that step forward and really progress as a, um, as a potentially top level player. Um, I don't think you really see that many young talents or, or players in general that have the depth um, across the board and the all round um, level of uh, of prospective ability of of someone like Alex um, combined with his pace, his power, um, and. I think especially after that pre-season, uh, maybe under the, the context of uh, the friendly environments of games, the where, where the pressure's off, um, I've, and of course the, the community shield goal, it really felt like this was going to be a big moment in his career. And aided and abetted by the fact that Arson showed a lot of faith in Alex um, throughout the season I've continued to remember him forcing um, Alex back into the first 11 when fit um, and even I think even given how poorly Alex played throughout the course of the season generally um, I, I, I haven't seen the stats but I wouldn't be surprised if he even came fairly close to the 14 starts um, and even despite his injuries but but yeah for me I mean I, I was James, expecting he, big he was things. actually on track to do it at that point in the season. Now, maybe players coming back in might have squashed his opportunities, but he was exactly tracking to the, whatever it was, 13, 14 games. 
Right, and the the irony of Joel Campbell coming in at at certain points uh, <laughs> to briefly displace him. I um no, but I you know I, I think and you can just look at his numbers. Um, and I uh, you know don't don't hold me to this, but I think from a productivity standpoint, I wouldn't be. I, I think his goals and assists are um are somewhere combined as as as, as two or even under um for the season, um which for a player of his position is um. Unfortunately, however much room and um, you want to give a, a player of his position coming um, s- somewhat coming through the ranks, I don't think you can give him that kind of um, relief at this stage now. Um, but he's a player that really had to step up and deliver, and I don't think he did that. And whether whether that's partly down to the dynamic of the team and um, and a, a lack of ability to sort of progress through that kind of phase of of that type of player, given the instability we should we demonstrated in midfield, and um, you know I'm sure that there are external arguments that can be made, but um, but ultimately I think it was I think Alex is someone who who clearly seems to um, self assess himself quite um, quite strongly and yeah, um, I constantly reflect. I think he'll you know he'll be. Especially, you know, combined with that of the, um, of again another season um, rattled by injuries, I think um, I think he'll be very disappointed with himself, um, and I I've, I I fear how you know as to how that's going to affect him going forward. Yeah, assuming he's even at Arsenal, I think when you look at Arsene Wenger's commitment to, you know, Tim as you wrote last summer, cohesion um, over signings, cohesion was based on the thought that. He had some players who were not only going to stay at the same level, but take steps forward. And Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain would surely have been one of the primary candidates to take that step forward. And if the guy developed into sort of the 15-goal, 8-assist type of wide forward that maybe people expected from him, it could have been a much different season. Instead, he he regressed, and and it cost us. Um, All right, Paul. Who's the worst player for Arsenal? No, who who had the most disappointing season not named uh, Matthew Debussy and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain? So we've covered a defender and attacker. I feel it should be a midfielder because that was as disappointing an area as any during the season. But at the same time, I don't think that comes down to any one individual, though I could, I could name a couple who's This is your way of trying to reference multiple players. It's clever, but <laughs> give me your fucking pick. <laughs> <laughs> Theo Walcott. Oh, that's going to break your heart to have to say that. It does. I mean, to be fair, he's let himself down. He's let Arson down. But more than anything, he's let me down. And that's probably the thing so, that hurts him the most. Uh, well, I'm not sure it does, but it should. Um, I mean, I don't know if I really need to say anything on it. I think we'd all agree yeah. that he showed promise again at the start of the season. He made me look like I might have been a bit of a genius. Well, you were really. Yeah, I, I, I always have <laughs> faith that you'd be proven wrong. <laughs> for the first few games, um, you know, it, well, it, it's not even then that he was playing that great. I mean, he wasn't scoring goals or anything, but the movement, blah, 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 the Theo thing. I think once people worked out he was being shit when he came back, they didn't even bother marking him. So he didn't make space for other people because nobody ran with him slight exaggeration but i mean the, one of the problems for him is as as soon as everybody worked out it was dog shit then he's not going to pull the defense apart in the same way because you can kind of let him run because mm-hmm. 
A, we weren't finding him. Um, and, and to be fair, I think that was a big piece of the problem later on from with only one uh, player playing those kinds of precision balls uh, where earlier in the season we had both Cazorla and Ozil. Later when Theo came back, it was just Ozil and we weren't in our best phase, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, whatever way you slice it, you, as a player, it might not have been ideal for him, but he's got to find a way to make a contribution. And I think also mentally he bottled it and took a back step. So it's going to be, it, it, I mean, some. we'll talk about what we think um, will or needs to change. Yep. He's certainly a candidate. But um, as I, I have a sneaking suspicion there's a reasonable chance he'll still be around next year. Yeah, but I, I think that's fair. I mean, especially, look, with Welbeck being gone essentially for all of next season, we yeah. probably needed another wide forward anyway, but it, you yeah. probably have to keep keep Theo. Um, I can't disagree with any of the guys you named, but I'm going to pick Aaron Ramsey. Um, again, not because he was the worst player for Arsenal, but I think there is a feeling that Aaron Ramsey is this world-class, top-tier talent. The guy who should be one of the three best players on Arsenal and pushing right at Alexis and Ozil at that level of football. And there are Arsenal fans who regard him in that way, in that tier, an elite tier of football. And while he was not terrible or desperately terrible this season, and while I think he suffered from a system that doesn't make it clear what his role is, he is not at an elite level right now with his football. Uh, his passing, his uh, his sort of positioning and just tactical reading of the game. His output in front of goal is not what it was. There's just no element of his game right now, other than work rate, which you always kind of get from him, that is elite. He was the most dribbled player in the league. I just think that is dribbled by, not dribbly. Um, I just think in general, if you say that you're, you're going to start a team with Alexis Sanchez, Mesut Ozil, and Aaron Ramsey... You think, wow, that's a trio of spectacular players, and you can really build from that. But uh, while Alexis struggled, I mean, I still think he had 17 goals, something like that, and quite a few assists. Ramsey really, especially for a guy who played just about every game and was fit into the squad just about every game, he never really found the right role and never really hit the heights that we need from him. So hopefully uh, that will turn around in, uh, in the season to come because – it doesn't look like the system really suits him right now, and I, I do wonder where he will be best deployed. And if the manager can figure that out as well, it's going to be a big part of what determines if we have a good season next year is how we fit that talent into that squad. All right, so let's jump into the season generally just real quick. And um, gosh, we've already been going at this a while. Um, okay, how about best and worst game Feel free to repeat each other on this one because there's only so many candidates. Just a few sentences on each. Tim, we'll start with you. Uh, the game, and it doesn't have to be the best and worst game we played, but the, the game that you thought was a high point of the season and the low point of the season. Best game, I think, Manchester United at home. Um, absolutely blew them away with our attacking players and... That looked like a team that could go on and win the league. It was, um, you know, before Cazorla got injured and, and everything else, it was nicely balanced, it was nicely poised. And um, a thread that goes through Ramsey, Walcott and Chamberlain being selected as three of the most disappointing players this season, by the way, is they all need a ball player um, next to them. And we have four of them in our squad and they were all injured 
um, which I don't think is a coincidence. But that day we moved the ball brilliantly. We moved it quickly. We attacked in a devastating way and we were very clinical. And then in the second half, the thing I liked about the game is you got that first half an hour where we just blew them away. And then in the second half, you got the mature, see the game out, um, manage the game kind of kind of thing. So you saw two very, very pleasing performances in one. Low point of the season. Unfortunately, there's quite a lot of candidates for this. Several. Um, yeah, several. Uh, I'm somewhere between Swansea and Watford in the cup. And I think, because I think with Swansea, the league campaign died. I think Watford just about, though, because... I really think if we'd have beat Watford, we'd have won the FA Cup again. Um, you know, the league, there might have been twists and turns and actually Leicester have been really, really good. They've won it emphatically. So maybe it wouldn't have made any difference if we'd have beat Swansea. If we'd have beat Watford, I think we'd be, you know, we'd be going to Wembley this Saturday and I think we'd be looking at a third consecutive FA Cup. And to have lost that game in the manner that we did was just that felt like a season finisher um and it pretty much was i you know it's funny i tweeted today i think because of the way we were chucking away the league and the belief that the league was on for us this season there wasn't a lot of focus on the fa cup and i get it we'd won two so you know it wasn't the priority nor should it be but Mm. you beat a struggling watford at home and you're basically walking into the fa cup final um yeah and and no one's ever won it three in a row, I don't believe, ever. Um, so, or not since, what, the, the 19th century or something like that? Yeah, yeah. So It's not been done in over 100 years. Yeah, yeah, so that's a chance in history that I think we just sort of pissed away. And you saw that when we played Watford in the subsequent league match in Bloomway. Um, yeah, really good call there, and I like it because it's kind of a hipster choice. Um, all right, James, uh, uh, game you most enjoyed, game you least enjoyed. Um, game I most enjoyed, um, whilst I agree the United game was probably our best performance, the game I most enjoyed, partly because I was there, was the Leicester game at home. Oh, that's a good game just, to be at. Um, just because you had the fairy tale, of, fairy tale story of, of Danny coming back from injury, um, scoring the last gasp winner, um, the fashion of the victory, and it did at that time after uh, you know a slightly uh, somewhat tumultuous period just um prior um it did have the feeling of maybe that was the the game a, a champion uh, uh you know a championship winning team goes and wins and and sort of builds from there and you wondered if that could perhaps be the um the moment where Leicester begin to slip and whether um that would really test their mettle and I just the sheer emotion that came out of that goal I can I immediately looked to that um it wasn't even the full game itself it was just that all encapsulated within that um within that Ozil free kick and and the Danny Welbeck header and it was just pure ecstasy um so I think that was my certainly my most enjoyable moment in this game um Worst game, I struggled to look away from the Old Trafford um, just before the Swansea defeat. Brutal. Just because for me, that was when it really it, for, it really hit home that the season, um, that the league campaign had basically come to a conclusion. Um, and I think just the utter, the sheer frustration of both the fact that we were playing such a, an underwhelming United side. I mean... 
I would guess if we looked at the starting eleven of all United sides across the full campaign, that must have been one of, if not their absolute weakest team that they were able to field, given the um, sheer number of injuries that they'd faced. I mean, their bench was an absolute joke. Um, and, of course, given the fact outside of the FA Cup victory that we had, I think, was it last season in the in the quarters, um, our general record at Old Trafford is abominable. And I felt that this was... Um, Especially given the lineups, I think our lineup was 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 relatively strong, if memory serves me well, um, was an opportunity to somewhat dispel that. Um, it was and, such a craven you know, the- performance; like there was just nothing about it that indicated a will to fight. And, and we got back into the game a little bit, and then it was just like there there was nothing. We, it was like we were pillow yes. fighting at that point. It was no, it was absolutely pathetic, and in, in particular the way that. After getting back to three two, I mean those five, we we had a full twenty minutes, yeah, and did nothing, um, of nothing being able to somewhat claw back the season, um, or you know claw back a, a potential push for the title, and it was absolutely as you suggested, nothing. I mean, it was you know it was, it was really disparaging, and I think uh, a true indictment of the of the team at the time and and the way in which the players were, um, I don't know, about, you know meant the the way in which they mentally. Uh, they seemed to just somewhat capitulate at the time, and it was you know, it really did, um, it, it, you know, it did really resonate just how how weak the side was at the at, at the time, and I think that one really hit home for me. Yeah, and it probably killed the title challenge at that point. I mean, there are other points you could point, other points you could point to. You get the idea, Paul. You get to answer the same question. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll keep it short because you cover them. I really think the United games were the the bookends to our season. They were the the uh, zenith and the nadir or something. Um, you know, Five when we beat... For you. Uh, oh, thank you very much. When we beat University Challenge, when we beat um, United with Cazorla in midfield, uh, that was a time at which you had to look at Arsenal and say, these guys look like a championship winning team. Um, we We just... Uh, and there were so few times in the rest of the year where we remotely resembled one, and you just you just had a feeling about the. It was that was that time around that time Gary Neville was saying that you couldn't win the league with Cazorla and Cockerlan, and I don't know that we managed to prove that wasn't true. I think that game certainly showed it up for being a bogus statement. Uh, I think the issue. What we really but, but can you win it with win. Ramsey and Flamini? <laughs> yeah. But I think what really comes out of that is we couldn't win it without it, and it was, we didn't have any way of replacing it. And, and so on one end, you know, that's what it shows. And I agree with you on the United game being the worst game just because of, it was such a gutting performance of how... Um, against a team that was there to be taken with kids, with, you know, like Carrick. You know you're in trouble when Carrick's your centre-back and there's a few other dodgy defenders and kids. And, and the, you know, we just... There were certain games in the year where, despite our challenges and injuries and stuff, a team with some resolve, with some awareness of its ability to win the league by playing shit would have found a way. Uh, we found a way to undo results. Uh, you could probably throw the Liverpool 
3-3 in with that too, though I'm a little bit more sympathetic to that because shit happens at the end of games. And as Psychologically, said, that one may have been a bigger blow. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but I think the United game at Old Trafford maybe showed us for what we were in terms of the the belief of the team. Yeah. And it was at a time where, you know, it was around the Barcelona, I think what the Barcelona, I'm just looking for it here. I think the Barcelona game was just before it. So yeah, we got beaten by them. Um, but the Swansea game was straight after it. Uh, and then we came up for air against Spurs, but uh, that was El Neni back. Um, and beginning to play, you know, we had a, we had another, another dawn at that stage with, with El Neni joining the setup and with Welbeck, Welbeck coming back in, uh, just around then, um, which we didn't manage to hold together either. So, for me, that that United away game was really where everything died on us. Yeah, I, I think my other candidates for for best and worst, I think. Um, you could probably put the Man City game at home in there for best only in that that was the moment after we won that game where I remember thinking, we could do this. We're going to win the title. And it's the first time I've felt that in a long, long time. And at that moment, I thought, we're going to win the title. Um, so I, I think I felt the most confident in what was happening with the squad and, and with the season after the City game. Another really high moment, actually although it wound up being sort of a, a moral victory more than anything else, was the Olympiacos away game when we did what we needed to, to qualify for the knockout rounds. I thought that showed the kind of fight and heart and character and quality that isn't always associated with Arsenal in key moments. And then my two quick candidates for the, the low points, I think you got to put the Swansea game right there with the United game because even though the United game felt like shit, we really could have still been in the title race because I think if you remember, results had actually kind of gone our way on the Tuesday. Didn't we play Swansea on the Wednesday? And I'm pretty yeah, sure Les- if you checked. Leicester drew on the Tuesday yep, with West Brom. Exactly. And I think Spurs lost that Tuesday as well or something like that. They lost to West Ham. Yeah. There, you, there you go. So we, we could have overturned the damage done by the United game by beating an out-of-form Swansea at home and showed nothing. And that that was just tragic. And then I guess the other one you'd throw in there for worst performance, just because you'd have no choice but to throw it in there, even though some things went against us, was the four nil at Swan uh, at Southampton. Um, so that sort of covers highs and lows of the moment. Let, let's not make this an hour and a half pod because the only people that listen to this, aka my mother and father, you know, they don't have that kind of time. Um, so real quick, let's get to what has to happen next. So. Really, really quickly, let's do sort of a lightning round for a minute. I'll start with you, Tim. Other than, so without naming Arteta, Flamini, or Rosicki, mm. players you think are going out, if any? Right. I think David Ospina might. Wow. Matthew Debushi will. Um, I think Theo Walcott will. Other than that, I think Joel Campbell and Kieran Gibbs, it will be left up to them. Okay. And that's it? Yep. Okay. What about what about um, incomings? You don't have to name the players. How many do you think will come in at what position? I think we'll sign a deep lying midfielder. I think we'll 
definitely, definitely try it again for a striker. Um, I've got a feeling he might sign a centre-half as well. Other than that, it will be a case of replacing what goes out. So you think we could get three-plus replacements for outgoings? Yeah, I think it could be a summer like 2014, where we signed five or six, maybe. And bear in mind, we already got Elnenian in January, who I think was very much a forward nod, um, as it were. So, yeah, I think it could be a busy one. Okay. Um, and, And just bonus question. Do you think Arsene Wenger was just trying to take the piss specifically with respect to me when he said that Giroud will be his first-choice striker next season? Um, I Like, was that directed squarely at me? (laughs) Quite possibly. He hasn't wanted Giroud as his first-choice striker for over two years, and it's it's shown in the decisions he's made. He's just trying to be nice. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Okay, Uh, James, first, uh, who do you think will go out other than the three I mentioned, if any? Other than the three you mentioned. Yeah, so um, uh, Rusitsky, Arteta, and Flamini. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, well, I wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't shock me right. if Flamini got Fla- a one-year contract extension. <laughs> the point is, without naming those guys, let's, let's not drive yeah, anyone no. to drink just yet. Um, who, who do you think will go, if anyone? Um, I, th- I do think Gibbs will finally go. Um, I think yeah, Debushi's definitely gone. Um, I'm not sure if Chesney comes back this season or does another year loan, so I'm undecided on Ospina. And assuming that's the move. Um, and Theo, I thought, was definitely gone, but I wonder if, if the Danny Welbeck injury changes that. Um, so I'm 50. I think Theo's a possibility, but wouldn't be surprised if he stuck around. Okay, and who do uh, we, not who do we bring in, but what? how many in what positions? I think we're definitely going to get a deep line midfielder. Um, I think Arsene's certainly going to get a striker this time around. I think he'll, um, to the point where if he doesn't get the striker he wants, he will um, make do and, and, and get a um, a slightly worse version of, of that striker um, just because the, the need for one is um, is so damning at this point given the, the Danny uh, injury. I think... I think we'll probably get a young left back as um, under the assumption Gibbs goes. It looks like we're interested in the Bolton slash Leicester young um, fullbacks, and I wouldn't be surprised if we got a um, an attacking midfielder slash wide forward, a kind of a more experienced sort of version of Awobi, I suppose. So probably about four signings or so. Okay, um, Paul, your outgoings: uh, Aspina and Debushi. Aspina, um, really. so do you I, think Chesney will be our backup keeper next season? Um, no. Okay. But I think I think uh, just the way Arson promised Aspina he'd get some Champions League football, he promised him one year, and they'd make it easy for him to leave. Um, All right. Who else? Unless Aspina. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to play the cons- a bit devil's advocate, but it's kind of what I think. I think somebody else might go, but I couldn't pick among them. I'm, I'm going to go with we don't lose anybody else. Okay. Um, Interesting. I think I think Arson wants to hold. I think Theo's expensive to get rid of wages wise, and if he gets his some semblance of himself back, um, he can be a very useful squad player. And there will be times in the year we have them. 
we're glad we have him. I really don't think Arsenal has given up on Chamberlain. Um, Gibbs is an interesting one because this is really his last chance to kind of make a career elsewhere. Uh, if his celebration of our beating Aston Villa with Jack is any measure of it, he's an Arsenal man. I still think, he, uh, while I can see all the reasons why people think this is the year he'd go, I still slightly bet, in each case, I kind of slightly bet more likely they'll stay. So probably one of them will go, but I think I'm betting there's a tendency with all of them for this, them to stay and for Arsenal to want to keep them. Um, yeah. I think we'll sign Chaka. Okay. Um, it feels very done. I'm positive we'll get a striker and a good one. And rather, uh, I hear what James says. I think rather than getting a poorer version, we'll just spend more money than we want to because everything else is fucking craziness. This is Arsenal's, Arsenal's last season. And while he wants to s- stick close to his principles, I think he, if he's smart at all, he knows this at what what's at stake here. To save his principles, he might have to break his principles for a year. Well, and so look, he's got to go. For, Sorry, I was just going to say, if if he wants there to be more years after this, the only yep. chance he has of making that a, a, even remotely palatable proposition for the majority of the fan base at this point is to show that he can change a little in the market and show that he can change a little on the pitch, right? Yeah, and I think the uh, the flip side of that, uh, I fully agree. If you want, if you if he wants to stick around, he's got to put on a show. But also, if he wants to leave and leave and ha- have his legacy be seen positively and therefore his principles to carry on, he better have a last... He basically needs to have the same year either way because if what he does is he leaves a stink bomb behind or just a big meh added on to the le- how many people feel about the last three or four or five years, he's effectively... You know what? What his legacy will be his personal legacy, rather than like Cruyff leaving a, a series of principles that are be to be followed by future managers. Well, nobody's going to be following your principles if your last season was just as shit as your second last one. Um, I mean, I'm being overly yeah. critical here, but no, you know what I, I mean. He ne- I totally he get needs, it. Either way, he needs a really strong season to continue on in the job or in terms of his principles, legacy, and the direction of the club, sticking close to his idea of what football should be. So it sounds like everybody thinks we're getting a forward and a deep-lying midfielder, to say the least. I'm going to say for outgoings, I think there's going to be some surprises there. I think Cazorla will go, um, which would not be good for us, but I think that's happening. Um, I think we could... Maybe have a summer of hearing rumors that Alexis or Ozil are going to go, but in the end, I don't think either one of those will. But I think Cazorla will go back to Spain. Um, I think Why? that. What? Why? I think he wants to. And I think the manager feels like he's got to find roles for Wilshire and Ramsey, and he's got El Nenny, and he's got Cochran, and he's going to bring in a Shaka, and he's going to look at it, and he's going to say. You know, between that and one young player coming through like a Wobi and maybe another one who he's gonna who he's gonna promote from the youth team and he's gonna see Ashaka, Coughlin, Elneny, Ramsey, Wilshire, Awobi, Ozil and think, you know what, it's time to move forward with those players. I can't keep them all happy and Cazorla wants to go to Spain, so I'm gonna give him what he wants. Um I could just does see the he want his kid but does he want his kid in our academy or doesn't he? 
(laughs) (laughs) That's actually a Well, I mean, maybe letting him go back to Spain will encourage him to think highly of Arsenal and bringing his kid into the academy. I don't know. The other thing with the the kids, he's basically just as fast as Santi. Yeah, already. Uh, Neither of them are that fast. He he can basically play now. So, you know, if Santi does pick up an injury... You wouldn't want to play. You wouldn't want to overplay him like you did with the Wobi. You know he's young. No, you give him fifteen but, minutes at the end of games, or you know a half. Yeah. Look, it, if, if you're if season. you're good enough, you're old enough, right? Yeah, that's that's our belief. So yeah. you know, you basically get one Cazorla that'll last a full season. So uh, and continue on. So I think you've got you got if you keep Cazorla for two years, you've really got Cazorla for. 15, 20 years. Good thinking, Paul. Thanks for adding that. Um, So (laughs) I think he could go. I I do think that uh, Debussy will obviously go. I I don't think Arsene wants Chesney anywhere near the club anymore. So I I would, if Ospina goes, then we're going to have to bring in a backup keeper, I would think, because he hasn't shown any interest in using, uh, what's his name, Martinez? Is that it? Or Martinez, the the other keeper we have. but, you know, and then I think the rest of it is I, I don't think Theo's going anywhere. I don't think anyone's going to pay what we want to pay and give him the salary he wants. And he seems pretty comfortable at Arsenal, and I think comfort suits him. Um, incoming, I think we get a central midfielder. I think we get a forward, although maybe not a striker, but, but a goal-scoring wide forward. Um, and potentially uh, a center back, maybe that, that kid from Bolton. That'll about do it. Let's do this really quickly, just in like one or two sentences um, James, letter grades, if you're familiar with them, um, you know, the, the U.S., the American grading methods here, what letter grade would you give the season? The season that just was, not not the, the one upcoming. Are you cogitating, James? Or you might just, be on mute. Yeah, it's possible. I instructed everyone to mute when they weren't talking, and James may be muted while talking. You know what? We'll let James cogitate. Oh, James is typing. Welcome. James is typing. Welcome. Not on mute. <laughs> James, speak to us. How about this? Type the letter grade you would give our season. <laughs> he says C+. James, this has been your best contribution of the season. You've summed up your own season here. You your board. Yeah. He, look, he started strong with the podcast. He faded, but he finished strong as well. C+, for James. All right, Paul, what letter grade do you give the season? Uh, C minus, apart from the last game. All right. And Tim, letter grade? Um, bit of a poor Champions League campaign. Out of the League Cup to Sheffield Wednesday, out of the FA Cup to Watford. At home. At home. Um, C minus. Yeah, and that, and that's what I was talking about, jelly beans that, that look good on the outside but taste like shit. We finished second, you guys. We haven't done that since 2005. Four, what, four or five? But you know you know what you said at the beginning of the podcast about how we've gone up a position every year? Here's the weird paradox. Our points total has got worse in each of the last three years, and yet we've gone up a position. And it's so hard to know how to read that, Tim, because is, is yeah. the league getting more – is there more parity in the league now, and that's why point totals yeah. are getting lower? I mean, I was thinking about this for next season. What away fixture are you going to feel confident getting three points? City, Chelsea, United, Spurs, West Ham, Leicester, Everton with you know a manager who can manage a defense. Um Southampton, you know, th- there's not a lot of, of fixtures that you're going to feel confident getting max points from. So the points thing doesn't bother me that much, but I certainly think 
and you've written about this a lot, Tim, the lack of a clear, coherent system at Arsenal right now is what needs to be addressed. Whoever we sign, whoever we let go, this team come August has to look like there is a coherent system and like it's clear what the, what the team is trying to do. It can't just be a collection of 11 talented players thrown on the pitch and hoping for the best. Um, I will give the season a D+. Plus. Uh, it's still a passing grade. Um, and as a bonus grade, I will give Olivier Giroud a Z minus. Um, okay, that'll do it. It has been a blast. I think we will try to do some podcasts over the summer, maybe as players come in and they announce signings every week. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, anyway, no, but we will try to come in and do maybe some some looking forward podcasts and some review of the, of the business we've done as we do any. So look for those throughout the summer. I want to say, first of all, thank you to the guys for being awesome this season, James, Tim, and Paul. You can find James on Twitter, GunnarFanatic49. Paul at Posen in my pants and Tim at Stilberto. Um, you guys, it's it's really a pleasure. I, I thank you so much for, for doing this all season. Absolutely. Likewise, pleasure. Elliot. Superb job, yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, same to you. And I want to thank everybody who listens, everybody who's been kind enough to tolerate our not always uh, on-time schedule releases, including this one, uh, everyone who, who gave us a review on uh, iTunes, who suffered through some challenging audio issues as we've kind of learned the ropes ourselves. Uh, we will be back periodically through the summer and hopefully all next season. Um, it's been uh, certainly an interesting season, to say the least, and, and it'll be fun to see what happens next season. I hope you guys will stick with us for the podcast. Uh, until then, uh, if you haven't left us a review somewhere on the Internet, please do. Um, and uh, once again, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And enjoy your summer, everyone. Enjoy watching the Euros or just getting away from football altogether. Up the Arsenal. We will talk to you soon. Looking for a new podcast to listen to? Here's what we love, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. What's going on, everybody? This is Mac Wilds, one-third of the almighty guys next door. And if you're listening to this, we want you to be a neighbor. Now, I know you guys are probably thinking, like, what do these guys talk about? What is that? Well, listen, we talk about everything under the sun. We talk about everything that it means to be a young millennial man in today's society, whether it's finance the type of condoms that you use, or how to deal with love issues, or lack of emotion. We talk about everything, and we go there, guys. We go there. We really, really have a lot of fun. So uh, if you guys would love to, we would love you to come on over, come mosey on down, you know, right past Sesame Street. We want you guys to come, come kick it with us. Come get some sugar. We are the guys next door. Peace. A-Cash, A-Cash. 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 A-Cash.